First of all, I think knowing about those different types of risks can definitely help investors to make more informed decisions about where they want to put their money. They will be able to assess the potential risk which are associated with a particular investment, and they will be able to decide whether this aligns with their own risk tolerance and investment goals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second in our series, Investment Basics Podcasts, entitled Understanding Risk. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Patrick Brenner of Schroeder's. Risk. It's not a very comfortable word, but it's one that is intimately associated with investment. In our daily lives, risk is something we might look to avoid. But in the world of investment, risk is closely tied to the returns that we're all looking to earn. Risk in this case becomes a matter not so much of danger, but of opportunity. And it is all a question of degree. Today, Patrick and I will consider how these two concepts of risk and reward have come to be inextricably linked. Also, how the risk associated with investment can be mitigated and how that process depends on the returns we might be looking to achieve. Hello, Patrick, and thank you for joining the podcast today. Hello, Rona, and thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. It's fair to say that there are a number of different categories of financial risk, which investors should really get to grips with. Could we run through them briefly so that we're all familiar with our terms of reference? And let's start, if we could, with the obvious category of market risk. Right. So, I mean, market risk is certainly the most common risk that any investor are exposed to because, by definition, market risk is the risk of being invested. So, it is basically the risk that an investor might experience a change in the value of uh, his or her investment due to factors which affect the overall performance of the market. But market risk is quite a broad concept. So, it does actually include several types of risk like equity risk, interest rate risk, currency risk, commodity risk. And each of those risks represent the risk that the market will move in a way which might affect the value of a specific investment up or down. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have heard the notion of volatility. And an interesting point is that market risk is often measured in terms of the volatility of an asset. It basically gives you an estimation of how risky the asset class is that you are investing in. So, for example, an asset class which will have a volatility of 10% will mean that the range of this asset value going up or down will be significantly higher than an asset with a volatility of only 2%. But what is very critical is market risk is basically an integral part of any investment. And yes, while market risk can definitely lead to losses, it can also create opportunity and return. So ultimately, market risk is really the price to pay for any potential return. That's a very interesting point. Now, some financial markets are huge, with massive sums of money traded on a daily basis. Others are a little narrower, which moves us on to liquidity risk. Yes, Lorna. So liquidity risk is a bit a narrower concept. It actually refers to the risk that an investor might not be able to buy or sell an asset at a price which reflects its intrinsic or fundamental value. So in other words, it's actually the risk that because of the lack of liquidity, you might be overpaying to buy an asset or being underpaid to sell an asset. Now, liquidity risk can occur in different instances. It can occur in a particular market, in a very small market, where the numbers of buyers and sellers is pretty low. But it can also arise in time of market stress, when, for example, everyone wants to sell their asset at the same time, and there is no enough buyers. 
you have very different degree of liquidity risk. To give you an example, equity of large companies typically are much more liquid than those of smaller companies. And equally, government bonds tend to be more liquid than corporate bonds. What's important is that similar to market risk, liquidity risk can be both a risk but also an opportunity. And yes, it might be harder to sell an asset, but it also could provide an opportunity to buy an asset as a discount when others are forced to sell. And over time, if you have actually a long time horizon and you can hold an asset for a long period of time, you should get compensated. You should get an extra return for the liquidity risk that you're having. But ultimately, the key when it comes to the liquidity risk is making sure that the liquidity profile of your investment is pretty much aligned with your time horizon. So don't invest in an illiquid asset if you don't know when you might need the money. Yes, that sounds like very good advice. Now, inflation has been hogging the headlines over the last few years, in particular since the pandemic, and presumably inflation merits its own category of investment risk. Inflation risk is really the risk that the value of your investment decreases in real term, which means basically after taking inflation into account. So in an extreme case, it's actually the risk that the rate of inflation is higher than any return on investment. And this is particularly relevant for fixed income investment like bonds. Imagine if you own a bond with a fixed return of 2% and inflation rises, the real value of the fixed interest payment of those investments actually automatically declines. Cash is another prime example because over time, cash rates tend to be below inflation. So it means that if you actually keep all your saving in cash, your real purchasing power might go down over time. On the other hand, other assets like equity, for example, might potentially offer some protection against inflation risk. And that's the case because companies might be able to pass on higher costs to the consumer, ultimately reflecting earnings and price valuation. An interesting point about inflation risk is that after years, even decades of low inflation, it's a risk which has been now often overlooked by investors. Recently, with the return of inflation after the pandemic, mainly in developed markets, it has actually become a much more critical risk to consider for investors. Yes, certainly that is a very timely consideration. On a more general view, though, could we consider credit risk? So credit risk, which we also call default risk in our jargon. And credit risk really, if you think in extreme cases, is the risk that an investor doesn't get the capital back in his entirety because the counterparty default is unable to pay back. And again, this is particularly relevant in the bond market, where as an investor, where you are essentially the lender, you must rely on the credit quality of the borrower for the repayment of the capital. Now, credit risk is assessed through credit rating agencies, through credit ratings, which are given by Standard Poor's, Moody and Fitch's. And these agencies evaluate the borrower's ability to repay the debt, and they then assign a rating that reflects the quality and the level of risk. Now, credit risk, like every other risk, is directly linked to the potential return on investment. So typically, a higher credit risk investment will be associated with a higher potential return because an investor obviously will demand more compensation for taking on more credit risk. And finally, credit risk, we should remind ourselves, is a crucial part of any investment again. And in that context, diversification can help to mitigate this notion of credit risk. Ah, yes. I was hoping to return to this notion of diversification a little later. It is, of course, an essential aspect to consider when weighing both risk and reward. And it is very much linked to our final category, which is concentration risk. Concentration risk is really 
the risk that occurs when you're having a large portion of your investment in either a single investment sector or market. So simply put, it is really the risk of having all your eggs in one basket. Now, concentration risk, again, can definitely increase the potential for large losses. But on the flip side, it can also lead to substantial gain if the concentrated position perform well. So to give you an example, last year in 2023, investors were actually not rewarded for diversification. They were not rewarded for regional diversification because the U.S. market was the market which outperformed every other major market. They were not rewarded for sector diversification because the U.S. market, again, was driven by only five or six larger tech stocks, but which were performing all the other sectors. But over time, we should definitely not forget that concentration risk, given the risk of heavy losses, underscored the importance of diversification in an investment portfolio. Thank you for outlining all of that for us, Patrick. So what do all these different types of risk mean for an investor? First of all, I think knowing about those different types of risks can definitely help investors to make more informed decisions about where they want to put their money. They will be able to assess the potential risk which are associated with a particular investment, and they will be able to decide whether this aligns with their own risk tolerance and investment goals. Number two, the key is definitely to define your risk tolerance and your return target. So what is the risk level you are willing or able to take over a specific time horizon? And let's not forget, risk is not bad by itself, right? You have to be able to take risk in order to make money. So your investment risk profile must be aligned with your ability, but also your willingness to take those risks. So once an investor is aware of those potential risks, they can probably take steps to mitigate them. And this might involve, as we discussed, diversifying their portfolio, adjusting their investment strategy or targets, or seeking professional advice. Yes, indeed. But you touched on the importance of investment goals there, which were covered in a previous podcast of ours. From what you've said, it seems crucial to have a plan and a target and then to choose the level of risk that is not only acceptable to you, but also the most appropriate for your investment goals. As an investor, how would I start to make that choice? There are a few simple guidelines, which are, number one, understand your investment goal. That is to say, before you can decide on the level of risk, you need to know what you're investing for. So are you saving for retirement? Are you saving for a house, your children's education? And then the time horizon, the importance of those goals can significantly influence your risk tolerance. Number two, assess your risk tolerance. And again, this involves understanding how much risk you are comfortable taking on. Some people are more risk averse than others. Factors can influence your risk tolerance, including your financial situation, your investment knowledge, but also your emotional comfort with taking on some risk. And finally, consider your investment horizon. Generally, the longer your investment horizon, the more risk you may be able to take on because you will have more time to recover for any possible short-term losses. Yes, I'm hearing this investment horizon is quite critical. So having established my goal and researched the level of investment risk, which is likely to get me there, how then does this lead me to choose between individual asset classes? Very clearly, different asset classes come with different levels of potential risk and return. Equity, for instance, tend to be riskier, but they can potentially also offer higher return. While bonds, on the other hand, are generally considered safer, but typically offer lower return. I think it is important to understand those characteristics, as this will definitely help you to choose the asset class which align your investment goal with your risk tolerance. For example, let's assume your goal is income generation. Then you might lean towards bonds or high dividend paying stocks. 
On the other hand, if your goal is long-term growth, you might actually lean more towards equity. And finally, your investment horizon should also come into the equation. If you have a long-term investment horizon, you might be able to take on more risk, which means you would be able to allocate a larger portion of your portfolio to risk your asset class like equity. But if your investment horizon is rather short, you may want to focus on safer asset class like bonds or cash equivalent. Again, that's very good advice. You said earlier that in the investment world, as elsewhere in life, it is very important not to put all your eggs in one basket. But how does that work in practical terms? Yes. Yeah, so the phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket, is, is actually a popular way to express the concept of diversification in investment world. So what does that actually mean? Well, first, think about investing in different asset classes. So spreading your investment across equity, bonds, cash equivalent, but also possibly alternative investment like real estate or commodity. Now, various asset classes often perform differently under different range of market conditions. So it means that Investing in a mix of different asset classes can help you to smooth out the return and actually reduce risk. This is what we call the diversification benefit. But we should be aware that within an asset class itself, let's say within equity, you can further diversify by investing in different sector industries, such as technology, healthcare, consumer goods, and so forth. And this can really help mitigate the risk associated with any one sector of industry. Now, another good idea is to invest in the spread of geographical region, which can further enhance the diversification benefit. And again, this is because various economy might perform differently depending on factors like growth rate, political stability, currency movement, and so on. And finally, it is also possible to diversify over time. Here, what we are trying to diversify is the timing of entering the market. So it's very often a good idea to try to invest a fixed amount of money at regular intervals instead of going in, in one shot. And this is sometimes what we call the dollar cost averaging, which allows you to diversify the risk of the timing. But always remember that while diversification can definitely help you to reduce the risk, it does not guarantee profit or protects against all losses. So the real important thing is to make sure that you can align your investment with your individual goal, your risk tolerance, and your investment horizon. Yes, thank you for that reminder. So let's quickly recap on my five key points from today's podcast. Number one, reward and risk are inextricably linked. Number two, there are a number of different categories of risk. Number three, each asset class is associated with a particular level of risk. Number four, investment goals are a vital indicator of the most appropriate risk levels. And finally, diversification, that is combining a number of asset classes, each with their own risk level, should help you to achieve your investment goals. And do look out for the next in our series of Investment Basics podcasts. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and all leading podcast apps. Search for AXRIM Select Updates and subscribe to our channel. And if you like what you hear, then please do rate our podcast on your chosen platform. Thank you, Patrick, very much indeed. Thank you, Lana. Thank you.